For those of you that don't know, I'm Robert Hartzell, the keyboard player of my wife, Cindy. We've been members here at Beaches Chapel since 1986, if you can imagine that. And we are lifetime missionaries. Last year, we, we did our 25-year um, banquet, so we're actually starting our 26th year as missionaries. And we primarily work with pastors. Our belief is that uh, if we can help pastors to be healthy, emotionally healthy, their churches will be healthy, and they will in turn be effective in reaching their communities. And so we've traveled all over the world ministering to pastors and helping them um, just be as healthy as, as they can be. So this morning, I want to talk to you uh, about an important topic, Overcoming Strongholds is the title, Overcoming Strongholds. And this might be a little bit of a different flow than you're used to maybe on Sunday mornings. It's more of a teaching than, than preaching. But I believe it's a very important topic. You know, having been here since 1986, you know, we've known so many Christians through the years. Christians that have been in church 25, 30, 35 years. And we've seen Christians with that amount of time faithful in church every week, not overcome their strongholds, not move into maturity and healing in the things that God has for them. And, it, and it's heartbreaking, honestly. It's heartbreaking. You see people that have been in church forever still get their feelings hurt over anything that occurs, still have struggles in their marriages, their relationships. You see Christians that have been around forever, who the first little hurt in church, they switch and go to a different church. And it's just not God's best. You know, God, in 2 Timothy 2, 28 and 21, it talks about cleansing ourselves to be vessels of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. God has a wonderful destiny for every single one of us, and he wants to use us as vessels of honor, vessels that can, can release his love into a hurting world, uh, but part of that is allowing his healing process and maturing process to occur on the inside of us, and that can be quite challenging for people, and sometimes we don't even understand how that works. For many years, I didn't understand how that works. And, you know, God has so much for us that's so fulfilling if we know how to cooperate with him and overcome the strongholds that arise in our lives. So I'll give you an example. I was working one time in um, Lima, Peru, and I was at a, a large church. It was like several thousand members. And the, the number two pastor and his wife wanted ministry. So we had this ministry time, and we're meeting in his office, and this couple walks in, and the first thing that strikes me is they're a very good-looking couple. He's got this really cool-looking leather jacket on, and, and she has really nice clothes, and they're fit and trim and hip and, like, mid-30s, and they look really cool, you know, and, and they're the number two pastors over a church of several thousand, so they're kind of a big deal, Right. And I thought, my first thought, you know, as someone who's done a lot of prayer ministry and counseling with people, is I don't see these guys opening up. You know, these are not, they don't look like the people to me who just open up and share their struggles and so forth. 
But to my surprise, they were very open and very vulnerable and, and very willing to share their struggles. And it was kind of mostly the wife who wanted to share a struggle. And she said, I get very, very frustrated with my husband. Because whatever the senior pastor says to do, he just does it. Can you imagine? Doesn't question anything, just, just does it. And she, she kind of looked at him at that moment almost like he was the, you know, teenager who caved into peer pressure and tried drugs or something, you know. I mean, it just, there was a banana sitting on the desk. This is a true story. She picks up the banana, and she said, if pastor said this was a telephone, my husband would say, okay, it's a telephone. <laughs> so... You know, here they are, number two pastors of a very large church struggling with basic authority issues and struggling to embrace authority, or at least in her case, uh, embrace authority and, and flow with authority. And so I asked her, I said, you know, what taught you that authority wasn't safe? What, what made you feel like you, you, you can't trust authority? In Ephesians 6, Verses 2 and 3, very important verses. It says, Honor your mother and your father, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and you will live long upon the earth. Very important verse. If we can honor our mothers and fathers, life goes well with us and we live long upon the earth. So we need to talk about what honor means because one of the things you run into, if you've done prayer ministry for years and years like we have and worked with people, they think honor means I don't ever say anything negative about my parents. That wouldn't be honoring. That's not honor. Honor means that you reach a point in adulthood where we realize our parents aren't perfect, right? Have you ever had that experience? You know, and as a kids, we, we think they're amazing, mostly depending on the home you grew up in. Uh, but we reach a point where we realize, you know, like everybody in life, they have strengths, they have weaknesses, and, and, and so on and so forth. But in our hearts... There's love. In our hearts, there's understanding and there's compassion. And even toward whatever weaknesses our, our parents may have had or have, you know, we, we have a sense of, of respect and, and compassion and understanding toward those things. To me, that's honor, right? There's no judgment in my heart. I've worked those things out. And I have forgiveness and I have love. And when I can honor my parents like that, life goes well with me. Those areas of, of life where I, I have compassion toward them, I can receive God's compassion for me in those same areas of life. And so I asked the wife, I said, what, what gave you this idea you've got to be so, you know, guard up, walls up, you know, toward authority? And she said, well... My dad just always lacked integrity. I said, okay, um, what do you mean by that? Well, he just wasn't a man of integrity. And I, and I said, well, in, in what way? And you could feel like there was more coming, you know, and more came. And she's like, well, he had a gambling problem. And he just gambled my whole, my whole childhood. We, we lived in poverty because my dad gambled. And she said there were times where he would get paid on a Friday and by the time he made it home, he'd lost the entire paycheck gambling. He said there was even a time 
where he wrote a, a check out of my, one of my siblings' checking account to get money to go and gamble, and she got in trouble for a bad check and all these things. And so I said, well, do you feel like you can forgive him? Oh, I, you know, I, I don't think I'm mad at him. <laughs> but, you know, she had the fruit. And so there's a root. And I said, would you be open to just praying a prayer and forgiving him for those things? And, and she very much was. And she shed some tears, and, and she prayed very sincerely, and, and she released her dad. And you could see a, a very much a new freedom coming into her life. Um, and God really healed her, her struggles with, you know, being more open to embrace authority. Does that make sense? Making sense so far? I know this is a more serious topic this morning, but I believe it's important. Because in church, what we typically know are what I call deliverance prayers. Break it off, pray it on, cast it out, you know. And th that's fine. There's, there's definitely a place for that. I don't want to say that's bad. It's not. It's good. And often it even works. But what, if it, what happens when it doesn't work? What happens when there's a long-standing pattern of a stronghold that someone's dealt with a very long time Typically, just casting it out is not enough. There, there's more involved, and I'm going to get into that this morning and explain that. But we try to act like Jesus. We all want to, you know, WWJD, you know, what would Jesus do? And, but sometimes it just falls apart on us. I mean, is it only me? Like, sometimes it falls apart on us, and, and these strongholds can sneak in out of nowhere and, and, and kind of mess us up. So, like I said, I came here in 86. And I came from a pretty broken home. My dad was an alcoholic. He was very violent. Lots of stuff that I've shared other times, but, but not this morning. And so I knew, like, you know, from the way that I grew up, there were struggles and stuff. But I, I did have a lot of self-awareness at the time. I was 21 years old, brand new here. And, you know, not really understanding, having an understanding of my feelings and things like that. And so someone handed me a book, The Transformation of the Inner Man, by John and Paula Sanford. And I read it, and like I, I knew I was attracted to it. it. You know, it had a lot of very interesting concepts, but it was very hard to relate to. It was kind of like if, if you uh, want to study Spanish, you know, and so you get this book on Spanish, and it's very exciting, this idea of speaking a foreign language. Um, but you start looking at it, and it's just all confusing. Like, you don't even know where to start, and, like, you don't know any other words, and it just seems daunting, you know. That was kind of me with my feelings in the, in the early days. Um, do I feel shame? I don't know if I ever feel shame, you know. Do I sometimes feel guilt? I'm not, I'm not sure, probably, but I don't know. I can't really identify it, you know, they're just... That self-awareness wasn't there, but what I would tell you back in those days is, well, I don't care what anyone thinks of me, and I'm not afraid of anything, <laughs> right? Just no awareness. I remember early on when my son was maybe four years old, we had these neighbor kids about the same age, and so Darren and the kids would play together. And this is a, just a simple story. They would go running in and out of the, the back sliding door into the backyard and playing. And half the time they would leave the door open. And I would just snap at them, just like, quit leaving the door open. You're letting all the AC out, you know, which is something my dad used to yell at me, by the way. 
and I would do that, and, it, and just not even thinking about it. It just kind of came out of me, you know. And then one day, Cindy, in the nicest of ways, just said, you know, you might want to go a little easy on, on Darren and especially his friends, you know. And, and, I, and I thought, you know, you're right. Like, I don't want to scare his friends away. I want him to have friends, you know. Uh, but these things just kind of came, came out of me. I mean, you'd have thought the kids were writing on the walls with crayons or something, you know. I mean, it's just, you know, the, the, the overreaction of it. And then... In 1999, we were on the mission field, and that's when we started learning about the Father's love. And so this was from like 86 to 99. Um, I'm in church all these years. We're in ministry. I still have panic attacks. I still battle feelings of insecurity and rejection and all these things. You know, even after being in church all these years, 14, 15 years, and I'd read all of the different books about healing and, you know, from the Sanfords and a whole bunch of other people. And, you know, like I'm on this journey, right, of trying to, you know, how do you get healed? How do you overcome strongholds? You know, how does this stuff work? And in 99, we discover the message of the Father's love. And that's when I met uh, Jack Frost, who, who led Shiloh Place Ministries. And so he was ministering to us and teaching us the Father's love. And a lot of stuff began to kind of come together at that point. That this, we, like all these books I've read that I couldn't make sense of slowly started making sense. And so there was a guy who was the pioneer of the Father's Love Message whose name was Jack Winter. And then one of the most famous people for, for sharing the Father's Love was Jack Frost, the, the person who mentored me. So Jack Winter mentored Jack Frost. You can't make this up. And then Jack Frost, you know, began mentoring me. And so we're still in the Dominican Republic. These are early days. And I'm thinking, I, I want to be a good dad. I, I really do. You know, my son's about seven, eight years old at this point. And, you know, I wanted to be a good dad and everything. And so we're living in this uh, city called Aswa, Dominican Republic. We lived on a dirt road, and we ministered in this village that was all dirt roads. And so my pickup truck was constantly just covered in dirt and mud and all this stuff. So I had this great idea, father-son time. You know, I'm going to be like James Dobson, you know. I'm going to focus on my family. And so I asked Darren, I said, hey, let's wash the truck. You can help me wash the truck. You know, I knew I could wash it faster on my own, but, you know, I'm going to be the good dad, you know, like Jack Winter to Jack Frost and Jack to me and, you know, working out the father's love and doing all this stuff. And so we grabbed a bucket and soap and water and rags and all this stuff, and I'm going to spend time with my son, right? So I climb up, and I start washing on the roof of the truck, because to me, that's how you wash a truck. You start at the top, and you work your way down. So Darren, never having washed a truck in his life, not knowing anything, wanting to be with his dad, grabs a rag and starts washing along the bottom of the truck, and, and just without thinking, just out of my mouth, you can't start washing at the bottom of the truck. You've got to get up here and start washing on the top with me. That quick. I, I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Like this, you know, these strongholds are like guerrilla warfare or sniper attacks. You know, they just come out of nowhere. I mean, my whole intention, 
I'm going to have this great time with my son. And not five minutes into it, this stuff is just coming out of me. Like, where did this come from? What the heck? You know, and luckily it wasn't any worse than that. And I calmed down and we washed the truck and it was okay. But, you know, these things would happen. And it's not like I would wake up in the morning and think, you know what, today I'm going to be a jerk to my son. I'm just going to be a jerk to my wife and my son today. That's it. Like, I never woke up thinking that. I, I, you know, we were in ministry. We're trying to be good. We're trying to be holy. We're trying to do, be like Jesus. You know, all the stuff you're supposed to do. We cared. <laughs> and, you know, when we don't understand these things, when we don't understand how to overcome strongholds, it leads to condemnation. It leads to shame. You know, we just feel like we're a failure. And God has so much more. God wants to heal us. God wants to mature us. God wants us to be those fit vessels of honor that can, that can be a conduit of his love flowing out into a hurting world. So... Working with Shiloh Place really started accelerating the healing. I started understanding all the things that I'd been reading all of these years. And Jack praying for us, other team members at Shiloh Place praying for us. And it was just an amazing time in our lives. I, I, I have, had said in the past, I, I really don't remember a male authority figure ever being kind to me before that time. So I'm, I'm early 30s at this point. And, and Jack was the person I could say who really invested in me and just changed, changed us forever, changed our marriage, changed my relationship with my son and, and everything. And he began sending us all over the world, uh, teaching groups of pastors about the Father's love and doing prayer ministry with those pastors. And, and it was just an amazing time. And, and I began just getting lots and lots of experience in all different cultures with all different people ministering the Father's love and inner healing and counseling and all of these things. And then when I would be home, not on a trip, I would do uh, counseling sessions, you know, here in my office and stuff like that. Eventually, I got a, a master's degree in Christian counseling. And it was just a whole new world that opened up for us. And I, I learned more and more over time you know, what are strongholds and how do they develop and how do you overcome them and all of these things. So I want to run through some, uh, some verses with you on some of this stuff. In 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God through pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So I, I think deliverance-style prayers kind of flow from these verses. You know, take it captive and make it obedient, you know, and all of this kind of stuff. Again, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying there's more tools you can have in your toolbox. However, something very interesting, the word arguments. If you look that word up in the Greek, it means like what a lawyer would, would present his case before the judge and before the jury. So, so a lawyer is laying out a case line upon line with, with precedents and, and uh, proofs and, and evidence, right? 
you get the idea? And, and so these verses aren't just speaking about casting down a wrong thought. They're, they're, with the word arguments, it's like dismantling a, a, a case, if you will, that, that a lawyer would make. It's dismantling a whole, it could be a whole system of thinking, a, a habitual structural way of, of thinking about life. And we don't even know sometimes that these structures exist and, and strongholds are flowing out of these things. The whole argument has to be dismantled. So if you think about maybe a girl who grew up in a home where her mother always yelled at her and her mother was really hard on her, her mother always told her she was no good, right? And she grows up and gets saved and she goes to church and you can say, well, you know, just cast that thought off in Jesus' name. Just, you know, that you are good. You know, God loves you, of course, and you're saved and washed in the blood and a new creature. And, of course, you're good. You know, just resist that thought. But the problem is she has a, a whole childhood of proofs and precedents that have told her a lie, right? And so it's typically more complex than just quickly casting down that one thought. That has to be dismantled and and. And she, she has to be able to forgive her mom and, and, and ultimately reach the place of having compassion toward her mom. Now, I, I prayed years of prayers uh, forgiving my dad for different things that I would remember and different abuses that he had done. And, and, and I made progress as I prayed these various prayers of forgiveness toward my dad. And then one day, uh, there was this one incident where um, he was just really mean. I don't want to tell the whole story this morning, but... Um, and I remembered it, and I'm forgiving him, and, and all of a sudden I get a sense of Jesus there with me, and, and Jesus has like these tears on his face and this compassion on his face toward my dad in the moment of the abuse. And my initial reaction was almost one of a little bit of shock, like, like you know, where's the judge? I need Jesus the judge, you know? And, and it's like God just burst into my heart. I see the pain that your dad's in. I see it. I see the pain that your dad lives with every single day of his life, and he doesn't know how to get out of it. And something in me changed. I'd already been praying prayers of forgiveness for a long time, and I largely had forgiven him. But that day, compassion entered my heart, and understanding entered my heart. And, and those prayers went much deeper that day, and, and something very significant shifted in me that day when I prayed that prayer. And so that's what I'm saying. You're dismantling this whole structure, this case that a lawyer has that's full of lies that, that feeds into strongholds. It's kind of like the fruit and root concept. I was ministering to another pastor and his wife this one time. Um, Joseph and Anna, we'll just use those names. And they were a neat couple. Joseph was maybe what you would picture as the the most typical pastor that like like completely serving, completely humble, like on call, you know, too much of the time, you know, for all of his his members, just you know, whatever he can do for people at all times. I mean, if you could almost picture him wearing like a Mr. Rogers type sweater, you know, and the wife was the most dutiful pastor's wife that you could picture in your mind, you know, long, conservative but pleasant dress, you know. And, and just, you know, serving and loving and never a negative word, negative thought, you know, anything like that. And they were in so much pain. 
they had started a church with Joseph's best friend from childhood. And they started it in the living room of their house, and they built it, and it grew, and they got a pretty good group of people to where they had their own building, and it was going pretty well. And he's kind of, you know, working together with the friend from childhood who was also helping pastor the church. And the friend from childhood started saying, you know, you just can't lead a church, Joseph. You know, you're just really incompetent, and, and um, you just can't get the job done. And it went on like that. And he split the church. He took over half the members. He went a couple blocks away, started another church, and they were devastated. I mean devastated. Like, like the pain in their voices was almost making me cry as I'm sitting here listening to them. This was his friend from, from childhood that had split his church. And then his wife, Anna, this was kind of interesting. His wife, Anna, said, I'm, I'm ashamed to say it, but sometimes I feel like my husband's not competent to lead the church. So I don't tell him that. I don't tell anybody that. But in my heart, I, I battle that. And so you have a lot of fruit, right? So like Joseph not being a strong leader is a fruit. It's not a root. That's the fruit. I hope that makes sense. Think about it. Everything was on the line for him, but he couldn't. He had trouble standing up and protecting his church from this other guy in the church being split. He had trouble having that, that kind of strength in, in, in leadership. His wife struggling to see him as this competent and strong leader is also a fruit. It's, it's not a root. And so, you know, there's more going on here. And so these are how strongholds work. Strongholds can happen just from like the environment we lived in, um, lies that we've believed. I remember growing up, like even on good days, my dad would often be frustrated. And he'd say, if it's not one thing, it's six others. And I heard him say that thousands and thousands of times. Just the frustration like, man, I got this problem, and if I didn't have this problem, I'd have six more over here. And it was kind of like this, this, this worldview of life's always against you, and it's always going to be a problem, and, and you're, you're never just going to flow, you know, and joy and, and just enjoy life, you know, and be carefree at times. You know, it's always a problem. And I don't know that I consciously remember ever even judging my dad for that, but I heard it thousands of times throughout my childhood. And so when I became an adult and I was having a frustrating day, what do you think just naturally came out of my mouth? Man, if it's not one thing, it's six others. It's, life's always a darn problem, you know. It just came out of me without thinking, without, you know, processing it. I found these things flowing out of me. And then the other thing, Strongholds are built through the judgments that we've made, through the judgments that we made. Just like the, the one lady had judged her father for a lack of integrity, it produced a stronghold that caused her to struggle with authority in her adult life. And when she could, get it, when she could resolve that root, the fruit just goes away, right? If you are weeding your yard and you just break off the leaves... You know, it just grows right back. If you get the root out, you don't have to go around chopping the leaves anymore. The root's gone, and it, and it just dies. Uh, we get these vines that, that try to grow up on our fence that I don't like. And you can, you can, you know, chop down all these different vines, or you can go at the very bottom and chop the main root off, and the vine will just die, and it pulls right off the fence really easy, right, because you got to the root. Let me give you a couple of verses. Luke 6, 43 to 45, 
I really want you to be able to see this clearly in Scripture. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So if there's fruit, there's a root. Hebrews 12, 15. Look carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. I'm trying to spend quality time with my son, washing the truck together. It's supposed to be a James Dobson moment. And this thing just comes out of me five minutes into it, right? There was a root of bitterness where I had judged my dad, and now it's coming out, and it's defiling my son and, and, and damaging our relationship. <coughs> Excuse me. When we judge another, we will reap the same. Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for what. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Romans 2.1 Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. Listen to this part. For, when you, for you who judge practice the same things. We will reap in the area that we judge. And so, this is the tool. If you can learn to think in terms of fruit and root and not just in terms of attacking fruit. You know, there's whole ministries dedicated to attacking fruit. There's a super famous uh, ministry that gets into a bunch of brain science stuff and says, if you can resist a thought for 30 days, it'll change the structure up there in your brain and you can be free. Um, I don't know if you've tried resisting a thought for 30 days. Um, but it's a super famous ministry. People love it. And again, I'm not even saying it's bad or it's wrong. I think it is a legitimate tool, but it's not the only tool. And especially for something deeper, something that was more traumatic, it's, it's not enough. So freedom comes. If we can identify the fruit and then find the root, we can find freedom. And if you can learn to think this way, it'll open up a lot of things in your life to move you toward freedom. How do you find the root? Just sit there with God. You can journal a little, little bit if you want or whatever and just ask yourself, where did I feel that before? What taught me that? What gave me that mindset that authority is always dangerous? You know, what made me feel like I'm always just going to be rejected when I meet somebody or, or, or whatever it is? Back to the, to the couple, Joseph and Anna. I asked Joseph, I, I said, um, I'm trying to remember what I asked him. <laughs> what, what made you feel like you can't do anything right? You know, that, that you're incompetent. And it, it was so easy with him. It was so quick. He, he's immediately like, my dad always said that to me growing up. My dad always said I'm not good for anything and I can't do anything right. And I'm just not competent. He said over and over throughout my childhood, my dad would always talk to me like that. I mean, he knew immediately. He just had never made the connection with the current circumstances and that route. 
And then more interesting is I asked Anna, and I said, you know, because she was said, you know, I don't say it. I'm, I'm doing my best to be like Jesus, be a good pastor's wife. You know, but in my heart, I struggle that is my husband competent to, to be the leader he should be? And so I asked her, I said, you know, where does that come from? What, what's made you feel that? And, she's, and, and hers was quick, too. She said, well, my mom died when we were really young. I was the oldest. I had two younger siblings. And my dad went into a deep depression whenever my mom had passed. And he started drinking and laying on the couch every day. And even as a fairly young girl, I had to cook every day for my dad and my siblings and myself. I had to wash all the clothes. I had to clean the house. And dad just basically laid around every day drunk watching TV. And I determined in my heart, men are good for nothing. Men are useless. Men are incompetent. And she said, that was my, my experience. So it's pretty amazing that the two strongholds and, and fruit and root that this couple had. He had a dad telling him that he couldn't do anything right. She had a mindset from experiences that, that men, you know, are, are useless. And, and they were already in, in so much pain from the best friend having split the church. And so I said, do you want to pray prayers of forgiveness for your parents? And they were beyond ready. If you can picture a piece of fruit that, that's been on the table several days and like overripe, like that's, they're so ripe. And that they were, you know, absolutely ready to pray. And they started praying all these prayers of, of forgiving their parents. And, and I'm, this is not an exaggeration. They cried so hard, there was a literal puddle of tears on the floor at our feet. Incredible. And... The release that, that you, I mean, you could feel it on them feeling it, like, like the release of freedom that came in uh, to their hearts as they let all that stuff go and put all of those things into the hands of Jesus was amazing and, and, and tremendous. And they were on the road to healing at that point. And so that's how it works. And, and so a lot of people will say, um, you know, I don't feel anything toward my dad, or I'm not mad at my dad, or my mom, or, or I mean, it could be other, it could be a school teacher, or a coach, or it could be any number of people that, that brought that hurt into your life, but the key is, if there's fruit, there's a root. If, if I have this, this behavior, you know, I, I, I snap at my son, and I, and I try my best not to do that, and I do it again, you know, and, and again, I'm determined, I'm going to live like Jesus and be a good dad, but it comes out of me again. You know, there's a pattern there. There's a stronghold there. It doesn't matter what I say. Oh, yeah, I, I, I don't, you know, need to forgive my dad. There's a root there somewhere. There, there's something there that I need to let go of. I need to put in God's hands. I need to pray a prayer of forgiveness over at that point. Um. In my case, I, I remember, like, some of the things my dad would do, he, he would say, um, let's go throw the football, you know, just out of the blue, you know. Okay, so we'd go outside, and he'd throw it, and he, he would always, you know, make me run out really far, and, he, you know, and he was pretty strong, and, and he would throw it really hard, and, and half the time, you know, it would just bounce off my chest and, and hit the ground or something like that. You know, it was, he was doing it beyond my ability of, of that age to handle what, you know, but he was the big, cool, strong dad, you know. And he'd give me a look, like, kids can catch footballs, come on. You know, and, 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 you know any mistake you made, there, there was a sense of shame that would get communicated towards you. I remember another time, 
where he told me to go in the backyard and chop some wood because we had a fireplace. And so I grabbed this axe, and, you know, when Dad told you to do something, you didn't argue, you know, it, it wasn't a, up for discussion, you, you'd better do it. You know, and so I went back there and do what I was told, and not making good pro- progress. I, I've not, I had not chopped a lot of wood at that point in my life, and, and, you know, didn't know, you know, kind of the swing of it and everything. And so it's going real slow. And finally, he walks back there and kind of gives me that same look, you know, and he takes the axe out of my hand, and he starts chopping the wood. And, of course, you know, one good slide, and, you know, they split and all that stuff. You know, just he's good at it, right, immediately. You know, and again, it's not like this is this crazy, abusive, you know, memory or anything, but it's just these kinds of things happened. And it communicated something in my heart, like there's no room for mistakes. There's no room to be in any kind of a learning process, You do something right, and you do it the first time right, or there's a sense of shame that comes at you. And and it it can really shut down learning and growth in your life because there's no learning that doesn't involve mistakes. I knew these missionaries that we had met when we were living in the Dominican Republic, and they'd been there like four years, and they had been through language school, but the wife could still not speak Spanish. And I'm like, my goodness, you got four years, a year of language school, you know. And she goes, well, I don't want to just, like, you know, speak Spanish, you know, in public because I know I'm going to make mistakes. Yeah, you're going to make mistakes. Of course you're going to make You can't learn something like a foreign language and not make mistakes. Of course you're going to get a wrong verb or use a wrong word. Or, of course. You know, but she had such a fear of, of making a mistake that she wouldn't speak Spanish in public, even though she had four years, you know. And, th- and that, these are the kinds of things that can happen when it's not okay to make a mistake. How do you learn? How do you grow? How do you, how do you open yourself to be vulnerable and put the walls down and let God's love come in and, and do this maturing process? God has so much for us. He wants us to be these fit vessels in his hand that he can pour his love through and, and, and reach the world. And if we can cooperate with him in the sanctification process, Healing can occur. If we can have the worship team come back up. It's so powerful. I, I, you know, sometimes people don't want to hear this because it requires vulnerability and it requires work. But it's the path to freedom. And it's wonderful to be free. I can't tell you for how long I, I would come in here on a Sunday morning and just fear rejection. I, I lived like that for years. And I can't tell you how wonderful it is to be free of that. You know, Jack started sending me to all these different nations praying for pastors. You know, these, these guys, that, well, you, you can't battle a, a, a spirit of rejection and pray for leaders. Like those two things don't go together. Can you, can you imagine? You know, and, and, and God worked this healing out, and it's wonderful. And he has that. For, I know some of you have worked through many deep things, and God has more things like that for you. He wants you to be free. He wants you to be whole. He wants you to be mature. He wants you to be that fit vessel in his hand. And so understanding how transformation works puts a powerful tool in your hands. I want to encourage you this morning. I hope you don't feel intimidated by what I'm sharing, but I hope you feel encouraged. All you have to do is take a step, and God will meet you at that step. And you'll grow step by step, and God will do such amazing things in your lives. If, if you'll be open to do that.
Um, amen. Amen. Um, if you don't get our newsletter and you're interested in our work with pastors, um, helping pastors be healthy and so forth, we have a newsletter sign-up sheet in the back. I think uh, we send out a once-a-month uh little newsletter just sharing what we're doing. We're going to a new group of pastors in three weeks. This will be our 14th different group of pastors in the Dominican Republic. And then we go back to those same groups again and again, taking them deeper and deeper into the Father's love and healing and so forth. So that's our vision. So anyway, God bless you guys. I love you. Happy to be here. Amen.